Happy Mother's Day. I want to recognize all the mothers once again. I'm grateful for the announcement that was given by Paul, um, recognizing all the mothers. I, too, want to recognize the mothers in the house, especially as I hear the little ones crying. Um, there is nothing that can meet the cry of a child better than a mother. Dads, we can try, but sometimes the baby just pines for mom, and I think that that's something that uh, there's, a, there's a reason why, why we have families with dads and moms and men and women and the need for a child as it's raised in a family context. Um, there was another important announcement, and um, it's pertaining to adult Sunday school. I have a little bit of a ring in, in my sound. It's kind of, I can hear it a little bit heavy. Uh, adult Sunday School is uh, something that we've been talking about here at Woven, uh, starting something, it's flexible, we do know that we have the space available. I have heard from some of you that you want to learn more, whether it's about the Bible or about theology or whatever it is, uh, the, the hunger that you have to learn more about our faith, we want to make that available, especially now that we have the space. Um, uh, there are rooms available where we can meet before service, we can meet after service, but I just want to see what interest there is, especially for the summer season coming up. I know a lot of people will be in and out of town that summer, a typical summer in Houston, but if you are at least interested, um, as was mentioned, I'm going to say it again, indicate so on your yellow communication card. There should be a space there for Bible study. You can check that off, um, and we can find a way to um, set up a class so that we can start something like that. So Adult Sunday School. We're continuing a series today, and we've started an exposition through the book of Daniel. Who reads the book of Daniel? Who's read the book of Daniel? It's a, not a very popular book. It's not an easy book for us Christians to read. Um, and so we're doing this exposition, this study. Last week we started in this series called No Compromise, Lessons on Standing Firm. How can we stand firm and hold our ground in the midst of uh, adverse contexts? Last Sunday, as we started this series, I talked about how Daniel lived in an adverse, he was in an adverse context. This is what we call exile. And in the midst of that, instead of being influenced negatively, Daniel actually went forward and was a positive influence for good. And this whole idea about being an influence for good, maybe you might have even seen that. There's somebody in your office or a friend or somebody that you know that every time you're around them, they rub off on you as opposed to vice versa. And I think what we're talking about there is a sense of blessing. Blessing. That when somebody has something and you know, you, you know that they have it, you know if you have it, that you have this inherent attractiveness I'm not talking about a physical thing. I'm talking about a charm, a charism, something that draws other people unto you, and they're drawn to you. That thing I would call blessing. Now, whenever I travel and I go through the airports uh, and I'll browse the book section, there's always a big section on leadership for all the business travelers, and I feel like all of these business books, are, these leadership books are all trying to identify that one crazy thing, whatever it is, if as if we could distill it and just drink it and voila, you're a good leader. I think that intangible quality, I will call it blessing. And today that's what I want to talk about. 
And you see, this is very important because this idea of blessing, we see it here in Daniel, but it goes all the way back to Genesis 12, even arguably further than that. But in Genesis 12, there's a character named Abraham, and you should know this, Abraham, Genesis 12, Abraham, Genesis 12. For those of you that are members, you know that our church password to the members portion of our website is Genesis 12, something like that. And he's that important. He's that important because what happens is God blesses Abraham, and that's the beginning of the Jewish blessing. The Jewish blessing begins with Abraham, and God says, you, through you, many other people are going to be blessed as well. And this continues from Abraham's lineage down to his son Isaac, and then to Jacob, and Jacob would become Israel. He would father the tribes of Israel, 12 Uh, you know, a huge family, and from them, the blessing would continue, and then you would have Joseph. And Joseph is an important person who would carry that blessing from great, 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 great granddad, Abraham. Joseph would have this blessing, but the thing is, something would happen to Joseph. Joseph would be cast into exile. He would be taken away um, in Genesis get this right, I believe it's Genesis 39. In Genesis 39, you read about Joseph and Joseph, how he uh, would be trafficked. That's one way you can look at it. God bless the mothers. (laughs) They're working hard. Joseph would be trafficked and he would be brought into a foreign nation. This is what exile is. And trafficked and brought into a foreign nation and there Joseph would undergo not just suffering, but this experience of what it really means to be a blessing. I was talking to a friend a couple of weeks ago, and he said, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I said, Daniel. And he said, Daniel, is that the guy that had the, the, the drama with Potiphar's wife? And I said, no, that's Joseph. But I'm so glad you made the connection. Because there is a connection between Joseph and Daniel. They're about my guess, a thousand years removed. A thousand years removed. But what we see is that that blessing that would be on trafficked Joseph, Joseph who would be carted away in exile, in adverse adverse circumstances, and yet we see in Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph and he became successful, successful in a foreign land. Not only that, his master saw how much, the God, how much God of, the God of Israel was with Joseph that he put Joseph in charge of everything. And Joseph being in charge of everything. Now, I want you to think about this. Think of yourself. How have you been put in charge of more and more and more in your world? Maybe God has entrusted you with more corporate responsibility. You've been given more responsibility in the office. Maybe God has blessed you and he says, I'm going to give you more familial responsibility. And so we find that like, you know, bloop, 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 and there's multiplication happening. Or maybe he's given you more responsibility in your larger family that you need to care for the ones that you love. This increasing sense, there's a blessing, there's responsibility, but it grows. And not only that, But whatever Joseph put his hand to, his master experienced that it would grow. It would be blessed. It came about that once his master made Joseph overseer over everything he owned, God blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was on everything that the Egyptian owned in the house and in the field, and everything that he owned was in Joseph's charge. 
And there's a correlation between that. And it even says, now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. And I see a strong correlation between that story in Genesis 39 and Daniel 1. Daniel 1, also handsome in appearance. And being in a place of foreign exile and while there, while there, the blessing that God bestowed now sits heavily a thousand years later on Daniel. What I'm trying to say is this, friends. The blessing that God put on Abraham thousands of years ago would stay with Abraham and many generations down would stay on Joseph even in exile and adverse circumstances, a thousand years later, approximately, it would still stay with the people of God and it would be on Daniel. And after that, 500 years after the story of Daniel, that blessing would stay with Jesus, but Jesus would do, what would he do? He would unlock that blessing and make it accessible to all of us here. Now, to my understanding, not a single one of us here are Jewish We don't have any right to this blessing were it not for Jesus. And I would go so far as to say the Abrahamic blessing that went on Abraham to Joseph to Daniel and to Jesus now through Jesus becomes our inheritance. And so this is the first of three principles that I'm going to teach today from this book of Daniel. The first of three principles on blessing, the first fill in the blank, the first principle on blessing is you are a carrier of that blessing. This is, I think, the way we tie the Old Testament and the New Testament together. That we understand that God blesses the Jewish people and no, it stops there. I have Jewish friends. I know what it's like to be what they call a goyim, a foreigner, somebody that's a Gentile, not Jewish, a mudblood. But I can say proudly that in Christ... I inherit the Jewish blessing, the same blessing that puts me in the court of Pharaoh or of Nebuchadnezzar, the same blessing that makes me influential, the same blessing that causes anything that I touch to also grow and multiply, that blessing is on you. You are a carrier of this blessing. That's why you are finding and experiencing those of you, those of you high-powered professionals, you're finding that in your place of work, that you are not just working there, you are a person of influence. Or in your relationships or in your schools, you're finding that you have a voice, that people are listening to you. Why are they listening to you? Why are they listening to you? I remember when I was in high school, I wasn't the best Christian, but I was a Christian. And I remember my friends on, my, on, the, on the team, I was, playing on, on the, uh, I was playing on varsity sports at that time, and the guys on the team, I mean, they knew my, they knew my, my shortcomings, but at the same time, they listened. Why? Because they sensed that there was something moral, that there was something that this guy follows, that he believes in. And as a Christian, as a carrier of his blessing, even if you don't live a perfect life. See, I want you to understand, I'm not shaming you. I'm not saying you, you know, you're supposed to be a carrier. Of, I'm saying you have God's blessing. By putting your faith in Christ, you, you become an inheritor of that blessing. Now, this is important theology. Understand and know that you, let me say, the blessing, it sits on you. And whether you realize it or not, it sits on you heavy. Friends, it sits on you heavy. Listen to the words now. We'll finally get into Daniel chapter 1, 
verse 9, it says, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the official. That's just like Joseph and, Potiphar's, and Potiphar. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. In fact, that same storyline will continue all the way through the Old into the New Testament. Even Paul would have a hearing with Caesar. And today, you are standing before your pharaohs. You are standing before your Nebuchadnezzars. You are standing in front of your Caesars. Why? Because the blessing sits on you, and they are listening to you. God granted. God, that word God in the Hebrew, Elohim, is a distinctly Jewish name. And in the marketplace of ideas where you go out and you live your world, whether it's on the playground or in the office, you will have all kinds of gods. You will have people worshiping Marduk, or you will have people worshiping Baal, or you will have people worshiping Nabu. And in the marketplace of Babylon, there are many gods, but distinctly the name that's used here is Elohim. Elohim, God. And this is important because Nebuchadnezzar was recognized in that in the ancient Near East, as one of the most powerful, certainly the most powerful king of Babylon, of the history of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was very powerful, and yet in the midst of all of this, Nebuchadnezzar pushing buttons and pulling tabs and saying, I appoint thee, I bid thee, this is what we're going to do. He is all powerful, but yet there is one Elohim. Elohim is above your boss. Elohim is above Nebuchadnezzar. There is Elohim. Elohim is specifically named here. This is not Marduk. This is not, this is not Bel or the, 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 the Akkadian gods or the Babylonian. This is God of Israel who is our God today. Our God today. Elohim, what does it say? Granted. Granted, and that word in the Hebrew, granted, appears throughout chapter 1. I think it's almost like a contra theme, a contrary theme. There's this thing where Nebuchadnezzar's acting, acting all throughout chapter 1 and even beyond. He's acting, but we must understand that there is a higher actor above our rulers and our kings and even our presidents and so on and so forth. There is a higher actor. There is one who granted, who gave and it is Elohim. So God granted Elohim, gave. What did he give? And then you have this combination of words. Onto his people specifically, Elohim will give favor and compassion. This is a common phrase, favor and compassion. What does it, do you feel that today? Think for a moment. Do you feel the favor and compassion, the smiling face of God on you? This is important. There's psychology to talk about here. You know why a lot of Christians can't seem to break past the wall is because whenever we look up to heaven, I don't see a smiling face. I see judgment, shaming. I see things that I didn't do enough or I see. But the smiling face of Elohim who gives looks down upon you with favor and compassion. Have you gotten that through your, not just your head, but your soul? He looks on you. And you're saying, well, he doesn't look on me in favor and compassion. My life is terrible right now. All of these adverse circumstances and the things that are happening to me, God doesn't love me. God's not on my side. God's against me. But understand, things were not that much different for Daniel or Joseph. 
In fact, they were worse. And yet in the midst of that, God smiles. How can God be smiling on me? The cost per barrel, do you realize how bad things are right now? And my job situation, you know, BP doesn't care about me. I'm a lowly engineer and I'll get fired just like that. But in the midst of that, Elohim smiles on you with favor and compassion. What complete words in the Old Testament. They're used in the Psalms as well. Lechesed v'la rachamim. Favor and compassion, two combined words. God looks upon you. You are a carrier of God's blessing. The same blessing that sat on Abraham, the same blessing that continued to to Joseph, to Daniel, through Jesus to you today, whether you feel it or not, by aligning yourself with Jesus Christ, you become an heir, you become a conveyor of that same blessing. First principle, we are carriers. You, no, 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 first person, write it down, I. I am a carrier of God's blessing. Second principle, the second principle on blessing. Blessing begets behavior. Blessing begets behavior. I have a friend um, of mine, he's, um, let's just say he's, he's working on reforming his life. <laughs> you wonder, like, who, who does Pastor Wayne hang out with? <laughs> and he's trying to turn his life around. And in conversation, he shared with me a very profound statement, just in passing. And he was talking about how he was trying to make amends and, you know, um, trying, to, trying, to, uh, trying to show that he was really changed. And his wife told him the passing phrase, well, believe behavior. Believe behavior. Do you hear that? Believe behavior. Try that. Next time, next time your spouse or your significant other or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever, right, says, I'm changed, I'm changed. Well, I'll believe behavior. Because in the end, all of the words that we have, um, they can fall flat. What the world looks at is behavior. Good leadership, I will even share. Leadership is about trust. Where does trust come from? Dude, you just got to trust me, trust me, trust me. Trust is seen by consistent behaviors, believable behaviors. That's what trust is. And so people look for behavior. They are not convinced by words. Hey, baby, just one more time. Give me another chance, baby. Promise I'll never do it again. You know, I'm a changed man. Believe behavior. You got to set a boundary. I'll believe it when I see it. Believe behavior. Now, that's the principle, blessing. I'm not, again, I don't want you to feel the shaming finger of the church. I want you to feel the love of God. The love of God and the favor and the compassion is on you. Therefore, your behavior is going to change. Be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself. Man, I did it again. Right? Oh, man, you know, nobody's going to, I have no witness. You have a witness. Rest easy. You have a witness. The blessing is on you, and therefore it will in time beget changed behavior. The world will see you are a good man. You are a good woman. Blessing begets behavior. Now look at Daniel 1, verse 10. The commander of the officials said to Daniel, 
I'm afraid of the Lord, the king, my Lord, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who's appointed your food and drink. Why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you'd make me forfeit my head to the king. So what this official is saying is you don't want to eat the king's food for whatever reason. I talked about this last Sunday, whether you feel like you're going to defile yourself. Whatever the reason may be, you don't want to eat the king's food. But the thing is, if you don't eat the king's food, you're going to look haggard. Haggard. Does anybody know what haggard looks like? Let me see if I can. Like haggard. This is, imagine a pastor when he came into the front and said, I'm going to give you the most compelling sermon you ever heard today. This is, this is why you should believe in Jesus today. Who, why should you stand in front of the king looking haggard? But there's something to this word in the Hebrew. Uh, haggard is, it, it contains a dimension of irritability. Irritability. And I think that not only is this about a... Haggard doesn't just denote being weary or tired. It means also like, like you know, irritable. <laughs> I think the best postmodern word that you can insert there as a translation is hangry. Hangry. The king says, what's wrong with you? Have you eaten? No, I'm fine, man. You know I'm your king, right? Yeah, I know. Gosh, get off my back. So the official's like, I foresee this scenario. It doesn't look good. (laughs) You give me vegetables and water for 10 days, I'm going to be like, it doesn't matter if it's Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't matter if it's God. Whatever the case is, I'm going to be irritable. I'm going to be irritable. So you're, you're, you're hearing this wonderful message from Pastor Wayne about how, oh, you know, blessing. You have a sense of blessing. But the thing is, when I've only eaten vegetables and water for 10 days, I don't feel very blessed. I feel like I want to bite your head off. I mean, try me. Try me. Feed me vegetables and water for 10 days. And then put me out on I-10 at 7.50 in the morning. It's not going to work. I will be zaaf. I will be hangry. I will be haggard. And that's what the official says. Jesus, this is not going to work, guys. This is not going to work. And they say, we'll prove it. Blessing begets behavior. Blessing, have you ever been so blessed in your life that your body was sick, that you were, you, you were exhausted, you were burned out, and yet at the same time, there's a sparkle in your eye. And people said, I have another friend. His marriage is in dire straits. Yes. Let me keep this anonymous. He's not here. Don't worry. And yet in the midst of that, and I talk to him very, very often, and he's a Christian, I can't believe how peaceful he is. That every single day as he struggles through this, struggles through intense crisis, And some of you even waiting for some big news or some kind of a crisis. In the midst of that, there's this incredible equanimity. It's supernatural even. There's no good reason that you should be anything other than Zaaf. You should be haggard. You should be tired. And yet, for some reason, the blessing just kind of oozes out. I mean, this is very subjective. But has anybody ever felt that? I mean, I felt that. I know what that's like. Now, I'm not saying that we should continue to test ourselves That's why Daniel says 10 days, not 30 days. (laughs) Test us for 10 days. After that, we'll eat potato chips and pop and all those things. 10 days. There's a limit, but in the midst of that, in the midst of that, um, there's still this, this sense of blessing. Blessing still comes out. I hope you know what that feels like. 
that the Spirit of God is so strong on you. The Spirit of God is so strong on you that there are times, men, women, you're just walking on water. That you know this, you know this feeling. Daniel can confidently say, listen, we are so blessed. We're too blessed to be stressed right now. And so Daniel says in verse 11, listen, this is what we're going to do. Test us. Test us for 10 days. Now, that 10 days thing is, is significant. In apocalyptic literature, 10 days oftentimes signifies a period of testing. You can even find that in Revelation, Revelation 2. Revelation 2, it says, uh, you will be in tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Isn't that interesting? So 10 days seems to be, seems to be just enough. I think there's mercy in that. It's not you will be in, re- you will be in testing for you know, 10 years. Good Lord. Ten days, God's merciful. It's about just all I can take. So test us for ten days with just vegetables and water, and then let, let our appearance be observed in your presence. Compare us to the other youths who are eating the king's choice food, and then deal with us accordingly. And so what does he do? The official says, okay, he does that. He tests them for ten days, and at the end of the ten days, their appearance was better. They were fatter. That, that literally translates fatter of, fat of flesh, which means healthy, vibrant. Vibrant. Can you, be, can you have this vibrancy in your flesh? Your cheeks are rosy. Your, your blood is flowing well. You're, you're vibrant in the midst of difficulty. So there is this vibrancy. They were, they were, they were, they were healthy, healthier than the others. And so the overseer, the official, he let them keep eating the food and the wine and he, he, I'm sorry, he, he, he withheld the food and the wine and he let them keep eating their vegetable thing. You know what I think the point here is? Listen carefully. I think the point is this. Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't need to know whether you've been eating his food or not. All he needs to know is your behavior in his presence. That's the point. I think the point that we're talking about here is in the eyes of the world, they don't need to know whether you've done your yoga or if you've, you know, if you've eaten at a meal or not. They don't need to know if you've had a full night's rest the previous night. All of these things necessary. Don't, don't get me wrong. All of these things necessary, but in the end, they will believe behavior. Now, mind you, do whatever you need to get to that place. You know, even for me, even coming up here on Sunday morning, I have to make sure that I've had a good meal, that I've shaved and that I've eaten, that I've rested well. Why? Because people believe behavior. And when you are in the hot seat, people will believe behavior. doesn't matter whether you've just eaten vegetables or whether you've had a full course meal. Whatever the point is, Nebuchadnezzar will be convinced not by, did you eat last night? He doesn't need to ask that question. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't need to ask the question, did you, did you get enough rest? I mean, what's your problem? He doesn't need to ask. Why? Why? Because he will believe behavior. And the blessing that's on the people of God, this, this is what, this is what, 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 con- what is conveyed. The behavior is what people believe. So, use that as a litmus test. Behavior. Behavior. And so the first principle, I. Please say it with me. I am a carrier of a disease, just kidding, of God's blessing. And secondly, 
that blessing will beget behavior. And the people will know that we are Christians by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. But the third principle, and we'll wrap up with this, is your blessing, as you identify with Christ, you won't lose it. Oh, man, pastor, pastor, I lost my blessing. I lost, I lost my feeling of the Holy Spirit. In one sense, we could. We could, we could, we could bleed out the grace. We could, we could, we could, we could uh, you know, you know D.L. Moody once was approached by, by somebody that says, why do you always preach on being filled with the Holy Spirit? And he said, because I leak. I leak. Maybe you've leaked out this week. But understand that as you identify with Christ, simply showing up to church on Sunday is, a, is an act of identification the blessing, it's there. It's there. And God is the one that sees this blessing all the way to the end. God is the one that will see this blessing all the way to its conclusion. If you want to learn a little bit of doctrine, I can teach it. It's, this is called the preservation of the saints. Or another P is perseverance of the saints. But the point to the preservation and the perseverance of the saints is that we, our perseverance and preservation is diddly. It's, it's diddly squat. It's God who perseveres us and holds you to the end. It's God who preserves us to the end. Understand that our preservation, our salvation, our, our, our sanctification, and our perfection in the end is in the hands of Almighty God. He's the one that's doing it in your life. He's the one that will continue to do it, and He's the one that will sign off in the end. Listen to the words all the way through to the end of chapter 1 of Daniel. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge, intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And at the end of the days, which the king specified, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. He found no one like the four of them. So they entered his personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted, Nebuchadnezzar found these four young Israelites ten times better than all the magicians, conjurers that he had. And then, a very profound last sentence. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. This is profound, and I'll tell you why. Now, it's important to understand, when you read the book of Daniel, just because it has his name on the cover, does not necessarily mean that Daniel himself wrote this. So we think Daniel wrote the book. This is my book. I'm going to write about my life story, Daniel. We think, that's what, we think that's the case, but the thing is, this is, this is written in, in second person, referring to Daniel. Now, there are parts of Daniel, I believe, that are also written in first person. We'll talk about that when we get there. The whole point that I'm trying to make is whoever the author is telling the story of Daniel, whoever, it, whoever the author is that's telling the story of Daniel here, the author has the benefit of something. Hindsight. The author is historically removed enough from Daniel to know what's going to happen in a hundred years after Nebuchadnezzar, after Nabonidus, after evil Merodach, after Belshazzar. Whoever is writing this knows that there's somebody coming at the end of the Babylonian kingdom named Cyrus. 
And Cyrus is an important historical figure. You should know this, and I will teach it now. I'll tell you for me, because I'm a Bible nerd, if, if you ask me if there was one person I can meet in history, I would say maybe Abraham Lincoln. Um, but I'm interested, I'd like to sit down to coffee or chai tea or whatever it is that they drank there with, with Cyrus, the king of Assyria. Why would I want to do that? Cyrus was a very unusual, ahead-of-his-time king. And after all of these Babylonian kings, Cyrus comes on the stage and he does something that no king before him really did. What he did was he instituted religious freedom. Religious freedom. He ruled with something that we recognize today in, in sociology or leadership you know, studies. They call it soft power. Hard power is a technique where you just say, do it, or else I will kill you and your whole household. Soft power says, how can I influence you to do what you want so that you get what you want and I get what I want? Soft power is much, it's, it's not coercive, it's, it's a way to, and I believe soft power is the way to go, actually, by the way. It's a way to trigger motivation. Remember that? Trigger motivation and responsibility. That's important for us here at Woven. Cyrus employed this thing called soft power. And he, he wrote on this thing called the Cyrus Cylinder. It was, it was um, held at the Museum uh, EMFA, Museum of Fine Arts here in Houston. I went to see it. Do we have that picture, by the way? I, I uploaded it last minute. If you don't have it, that's fine. Anyway, the Cyrus Cylinder is this artifact, and it's basically the first human rights charter that we have. If you read it, uh, you know, it's, it's, in, it's in cuneiform, and, and, and it basically is a decree of human freedoms. This is remarkable. It's so remarkable, listen to this, so remarkable that in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, who was contemporaneous with Cyrus, the book of Isaiah calls Cyrus Messiah. Now you're like, where's Pastor Wing? That's weird. What is Pastor Wing trying to say? No, I'm serious. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. That's Christian translators saying, Ooh, we're uncomfortable with that word Messiah. It says Mashiach. That's what it says. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his Messiah. Now, what does this mean for us? And I'm closing with this. I think what this means you know, understand, we Christians, we think of Messiah in one-dimensional terms, the Savior of my soul, and, and that's it. But for Jews, a Messiah was, was something that was political, that was national. This was somebody uh, who was certainly anointed by God to bring about justice and goodness to the world, to make the world right. And so when Cyrus came into the picture, he allowed the Jews to go back home. Can we rebuild our temple and worship our God? Yes, you may. Wait, wait. You're telling us we don't have to worship Zeus or Marduk? We don't have to worship your God? He says, no. No. Nebuchadnezzar made us, he, he would throw us into the furnace if we didn't worship his God. Are you really letting us? Yes, you may worship your God. He is a Messiah to us. For us Christians, this is the point. What we see in Cyrus is an archetype for the final good Messiah to come. 
that in your life, you're in a place where you're underneath Nebuchadnezzar, or you're underneath evil Merodach, or you're underneath Nabonidus, or you're underneath Belshazzar, but you're underneath this regime, this horrific regime, where the rule is oppressive, circumstances are not promising. And you can say, fight the power, or you can fight the enemy, or you can do what you want, but the thing is, as we continue under these oppressive circumstances, there is a Messiah coming. There is a Messiah coming. Keep your chin up. Hold on to your hope. In the midst of difficulty, what happens is you have a blessing that people will rally around. You have a blessing. You are a carrier of it that will give hope and inspiration to all of the others that are suffering under the same circumstances. And all of these people say, what will we do under evil Merodach and Nebuchadnezzar? What will we do under these pagan kings? What will we do? Daniel says, what you will do is you will bow down with your windows wide open, facing, let the people see you, and without compromise say, I will worship the Lord, the God of Israel, Elohim, who gave me my blessing today. I am not ashamed of it. I am not afraid of the empire, and I will stand till the end. That's what you say. And together we link arms as a church, and we go back out into the world, and we say we will not compromise because we are the blessed ones. And the blessing sits heavy on me today. It sits heavy even when I say, I'm tired, I'm burned out, I can't do this anymore. And God says, favor and compassion, favor and compassion. The tears from his eyes drip upon you. You feel them, they're hot. And the blessing conveys through the tears of God on your back. And he says, favor and compassion, favor and compassion. On your life, favor and compassion. A Savior comes, endure through it. God will see your blessing through to the end. If you can close your eyes. Friends, do you feel the hot tears of God on your back? I don't feel it, Pastor. I've lost that feeling. I've lost the ability even to cry myself. Do you feel like you look up in heaven and you don't see, you don't see the favor and compassion? You don't have the strength for the journey ahead. You don't feel that this blessing can carry you through these oppressive circumstances. I don't know if I can endure under this anymore. But with your eyes closed, could you just imagine those hot tears dripping on your back? Could you just even feel the tingles of two hands on your shoulders? I mean, I remember as a youth, you know, I didn't feel this until, until my pastor or some older brother or somebody, when they put their hands on my back and it just unlocked the tears. And I was like, okay, I feel it. As the worship team just kind of plays this next song and ministers over us, I'm going to hang out over here to the left. And I want to give you this time to worship, but I also want to invite you to not be afraid, but to say, I need, I need, those, I need those hot tears. I need, I need the favor and compassion of God. And I want to invite you even to just, if you feel led, to join us in this front row, to join us in this front row and 
uh, you can come up to this front row here and I'll pray for you. I'll stand in as a proxy for God. And I'll lay hands on you with two hands. And may you experience in a very real way that favor and compassion of God. So right here in this front row on this left side, I'll hang out right here. If anybody wants that, I'd be happy to pray for you as we just minister this next song.